Your move, creep. Mission luck, Bruiser. You both Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. It's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, Lord! Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde. I am Austin. And I'm George. And this is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they still hold up. So what movie are we going to be talking about today, Austin? Today we're going to be talking about 2005's Munich, directed by Steven Spielberg. Yes, sir. The one and only. The one and only. So this is the film that I put forward for this week's discussion because I saw this film kind of when it came out and I didn't really understand too much of what was happening in terms of the real world politics, but I remember really liking the film. I liked the style. There was excitement and suspense because it's it's very much a spy movie. And I remember liking it and I've seen it on multiple occasions, but I feel like now it's about time that a grown-ass George rewatches this movie, takes everything he's learned about movies and criticism, learns about the actual politics that this film is based on, and makes a concrete decision on what the fuck the movie's about. Because <laughs> I, I still really don't know. And I feel like, you know what? It's about time to educate myself. Time to grab a book, sit down, and read what the fuck is happening. Because I have not understood... <laughs> what is happening but i like it i remember liking it and i want to see and I, most importantly i want to see if it holds up to uh to the politics that are happening today because i'm because i'm sure that the stuff is we're, we're still dealing with this stuff but to a different extent so mm-hmm. and I, that's me just guessing but it seems like it though there seems to be a lot of turmoil in the middle east specifically between israel and palestine i i've never actually seen this movie at all i just knew it existed i have it on dvd because someone was getting rid of their dvds and i was like i'll take that i haven't opened it at all you have could not be in there it could be an empty box and i know just from like look googling it it's about something like a israeli palestine conflict after a terrorist attack or something Yes, so the film is about the 1972 Munich attack uh, by the terrorist group known as Black September. And it's funny because Spielberg has made some of the greatest films of all time, right? Don't at me. However, for some reason, <laughs> this is the film that I I constantly think about and I admire more more than most of his other films. Like, there would be, there's Jurassic Park and Saving Private Ryan mm-hmm. and Schindler's List. Those are the three that, for, in my E.T.? No, I like E.T. I like E.T. a lot. But for but those Raiders films, of the Lost Ark? I like that one, too. Jaws? I like that one, too. <laughs> Here's the thing. <laughs> I like all of these movies. But I hold those three up to, like, the highest that he's ever been. Those are, in my opinion like the the unbeatables you know mm-hmm. saving private ryan i've seen it so many times i've seen it without the sound just to see just to just to see how great that movie is visually without even dialogue you you know exactly what's happening schindler's list it's amazing it's incredible 
Jurassic Park Welcome because it's Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. It's perfect. But for some reason, I put Munich up there as well. <laughs> and wow. I but that's the problem. For some like this film has attached itself to me on such an inter- eternal internal manner where I don't even really understand what's happening politically in the film, but I just love watching it and I I can't stop thinking about it. How has a hmm. film made by a director that has made has made multiple film of the years how is this film that has a 74 percent on metacritic and it has a it's his an, lowest it, grossing movie it's his lowest date. grossing movie it's 78 percent on rotten tomatoes out of 210 critics like like people like munich but it doesn't seem like a, like people love munich so why do i love this movie even though i can't talk about its politics with a level of certainty and I have I've only seen it maybe four times since 2005 like every so often I'll watch it like how why has this film attached to to me like a parasite that I can't forget I can't forget about it like I can't ever I don't stop thinking about this movie and instead we we could have gone on I could have said and Austin you can attest to this Instead Mm -hmm. of saying, hey, Austin, let's do Jurassic Park. Let's do Saving Private Ryan. Let's do Schindler's List. Let's do E.T., Jaws, Raiders, fucking... AI. AI. Let's not do those, and let's instead do Munich. We could still do those, but we're doing Munich first. Why? Why why did I decide... We could have done Jurassic Park, and that would have been a lot of fun. Yeah. But why is it that this movie cannot get out of my fucking head? I don't understand. And that's why this week we're going to be talking about it and I'm going to get to the bottom of it. All right. And I will watch it for the first time. I've never seen it before. All I know is vaguely the politics of it. And it's a Spielberg movie from 2005. I have a list of the top grossing uh top grossing movies of 2005 and munich is on is number 38 of 2005 yes it is ahead of uh bewitched sahara the corpse bride dukes of hazard pride and prejudice but it's beaten by the legend of zorro cheaper by the dozen herbie fully loaded (laughs) the Lindsay lohan one yeah. And I, I saw it as a kid, and I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, but the top movies of that year were, number one, at the Worldwide Box Office, $897 million, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Ooh, fantastic movie. The fourth one. And then, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Really? Star Wars came yeah. behind Harry Potter? Star Wars Worldwide by 50, about $50 million. It, it, Star Wars was number one at the domestic box office, but yeah. internationally, Harry Potter made more money. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, it was the, the third one of the prequels, you know, and, and the prequels weren't generally well received critically, but people went in droves to see them anyway. No, no, I, I did too. I remember yeah. going. I remember seeing episode three. I don't know if it was in the theater, though. I'm sure. I'm I know sure. that we saw the first two on on the movie theater, but I don't know about the third one. I'm sure you did. You just can't remember it. Yeah. Why, why would it a young Austin go see a Star Wars movie in theaters? Number three, The Chronicles of Narnia, 
The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Number four is War of the Worlds. Isn't that also what, a Spielberg that, movie? That's a Spielberg movie. Wait, wait, wait. Huh? huh? Wait, wait. Hold, hold, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, shit. Spielberg had two movies that year. So he, he I feel like he likes to do these uh, stories that mean a lot to him personally. And then he'll do like these like wide appeal uh, blockbuster movies. That man works. He did the same thing recently with uh, Ready Player One and um, uh, Ready Player One and um, the Tom Hanks Meryl Streep uh, political film. The report. The report was a Spielberg movie. Too? No, no, no. The report was Amazon Prime. That has Adam Driver in it. The Post. The Post. The Post. Oh no! Ready Player One came out in 2018. The Post came out in 2017. Ah. Uh, but still very close. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, he it's pretty. Make, he churns these things out. But okay, so he. Interesting. I mean, he he must have finished one film let the editor do the other do their thing and must have just Mm -hmm. began filming the other one it's pretty interesting like because war of the worlds i'm sure has like a very different like thematic it's a very different experience seeing that movie versus something like munich oh without where in war of the worlds you're seeing aliens kill people and then in munich you're seeing a fictionalized representation of what actually happened yeah well it just well, like you said, different different genres. You know, Munich is a is a political drama. War of the Worlds is an action blockbuster film. Yeah, but already you're kind of seeing like a certain trend in the the top of the box office. Like it's Harry Potter, Star Wars, Chronicles of Narnia, War of the Worlds, and then Madagascar, mm-hmm. and then King Kong, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Hitch, and then Batman Begins. Barely beating the first Fantastic Four movie. Back in two thousand five, you had uh, you had a Nolan film, you had a Steven Spielberg film, you had a Peter Jackson film, you had a George Lucas film. That was just the last movie he ever directed. Star- that was the last Star Wars film he directed. So you have a George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, Peter Jackson, Tim Burton, and Christopher Nolan film in one year. It's showing signs of the direction that we are in right now. Absolutely. Everything is a remake or a franchise thing. And Madagascar, like that was just the start of like this huge, massive franchise. How that many is- Madagascar movies are there? How many of the spinoffs are there? A lot. Those, those goddamn penguins. The reason why is because that one movie was so successful. It was up there contending with Star Wars and a Batman movie. I could, I could definitely get behind that. I could definitely see how this is the starting point uh, to, uh, to where we're at. Like, 20, 20, 2005 walked so 2019 can run. I mean, they're doing a lot more than walking. They're, there's eight remakes slash sequels slash franchise movies that are up there out of the ten. Mm. Or I guess seven because Mr. and Mrs. Smith was not re- – it's not really a remake. Are you counting Madagascar as an original? Yeah. Yeah, and then Charlie. Because at the time it was, it was like, oh yeah, this movie. Yeah, well, and then Hitch, Hitch, Mr. and Mrs. Smith is basically original. It's yeah, it takes it by name, but doesn't count. Madagascar. Yeah, so like three out of the ten of the of the top ten. I'll take three over none. Yeah, I looked at 2018, and I think the only original movie it's or 
in the top 20 was A Quiet Place, which is now being turned into a franchise. I mean, good for, you know, John Krasinski for making something that people liked, I guess. No, no, absolutely. Without a doubt. Uh, good on him. He's, he's fine. And I know part. that he didn't really want to make a sequel either. The kind of... He said that they used a Jedi mind trick. Did you see that quote? No. Yeah, they had. They said that they used a Jedi mind trick to make him do a sequel. All right. So, the 2005 box office very different from 2019, and definitely more different than 2020. Every year is, but Munich didn't fare too well. It got a 47 million domestically, and it had 83 million internationally. How much was the budget? The budget was seventy million. So, Oof. quick maths. So the film cost seventy million to make. It made a uh, one thirty. I'll just say one thirty-one because it's one hundred thirty million nine hundred eighty-two. So I'm just rounding up. Just you know, shits and giggles. Let's just say roughly half of that went to um, to theaters for their uh, for their admissions. Sixty-five million is how much the studio got. Now, 70 million budget, 65 box office, roughly, isn't that big of a loss, but that's it. Again, not accounting for marketing. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Marketing, I don't know how much you'd spend marketing on a film because it's no Harry Potter. I'm sure Warner Brothers went all in on the marketing. I'm sure Lucasfilm went all in the marketing for Star Wars, obviously. With Munich, not so much. It's hard to say. It's definitely not double. They didn't spend seventy million on the budget and seventy million on marketing. I don't think that's what they went. But they definitely took a hit. Not a not a big yeah. not a big loss. I mean they go on to recoup it in World of War. Yeah. So it's not a total loss. And this movie got a lot of acclaim. I know it was nominated for a few Oscars. I don't think it won, but I know it definitely got nominated for Best Picture. So there's some acclaim there. But it's kind of a hit for Universal, not a not a humongous one, I'm guessing. I'll have to we'll have to look and see afterwards. But uh, it's a so and so project for Universal. You take a kind of you take a bit of a loss, but you get some acclaim, and you make steel you make Spielberg happy. Yeah. Because then he could give he could keep making World of Worlds and keep making you that money. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm most excited about going back through this film is finally understanding what's happening politically. Like, I'm going to mm-hmm. do a shit ton of research on not just the film, but also what happened in real life. And I'm going to try to figure out what people have said, kind of get some get some ranging opinions on what the whole event was. And then I'm also curious as to how film critics reacted to it, because it's mm-hmm. a because it's a political film. It's a politically charged film. I wonder if people's own politics are going to get in the way of it or if they're going to be able to acknowledge the film on like on a film technical level and whether they agree or disagree with the politics i'm curious as to where critics land and when it comes to the politics of the film because this was nominated for an academy award Mm -hmm. so i kind of i'm kind of curious did that peeve some people because it's very politically charged and you're well it's it's a movie where the it's the israeli um Mossad, right are they the the spies yes i definitely remember hearing Mossad. <laughs> so it's it's a national intelligence agency of israel so i think it's like assad versus um black september or so it's it's israel versus palestine then yes that's what it's about 
Yeah, I mean, it's gotten to the point. I, I, politically, even Ben and Jerry's has been brought into this. <laughs> what? But ben and Jerry's freezes when it comes to Palestine. This is a news article, and it says ice cream brand has been vocal has been a vocal advocate for Black Lives Matter movement, but refuses to halt operations in illegal Israeli settlements. Ooh. That means nothing to me i have no i i I, I, like 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 i'm not i'm not trying to say it's meaningless but in terms of understanding look i understand the black lives matter movement i get it maybe maybe not a hundred percent of it because there's still a lot to learn right but i can understand where it came from what it's about so if someone confronts me it's like i i know a decent amount you know what i mean but with Mm -hmm. this this doesn't wait why is ben and jerry's (laughs) what (laughs) What? What? I didn't even know Ben and Jerry's sold ice cream elsewhere in the world. I thought, (laughs) and apparently they're in illegal Israeli settlement. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Ice cream. What I'm thinking is that uh, there's an Israeli settlement that is in like, I I guess there's like a dispute over where the border is between Israel and Palestine. And it's in like the the side that Palestine thinks is theirs and the side that Israel thinks it's theirs. That's what I'm getting. Just from the headline of that article, that's what I'm, I'm assuming is the issue. And I'm but def- what makes it illegal? Yeah. You know, it depends on whose side you're on, I guess, right? I, I guess so. Uh, I didn't know Black Lives Matters were for Palestine. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. And that's that. The, just circling back to the whole to the front, I don't understand yeah. why. This so hopefully, movie. like after we watch this movie, and you, we do some research, we will be able to tell you why this Ben and Jerry's is problematic. Exactly. <laughs> we'll be we we'll, we will come back and we will solve everything. Yeah, uh, we're we're gonna solve. I, I don't know if we're going to solve everything, but we're definitely going to understand a little bit more than we do right now. Nah, nah. I'm on the case now. I'm going to solve it. You know what I mean? I was I was like, <laughs> I'm a, you know what? I'm going to let the world figure it out, you know? But it's like, nobody can figure it out. I'm going to step in. I'm going to solve it. Jorge Montoya, Hispanic man from Los Angeles. I'm going to solve the world. Starting with Spielberg's Munich. Mm-hmm. All right. We will see you in a minute. Good afternoon. I'm speaking to you live just outside the Olympic Village in Munich, West Germany. At this moment, eight or nine athletes of the Israeli team are being held prisoner. These guerrillas are a group called Black September. And those have automatic weapons on the hostages. A deal had been made. Now the Israelis have disappeared. Massive security force. in front of it. The Arabs have taken <laughs> Every civilization finds it necessary to negotiate compromises with its own values. We have 11 Palestinian names. Each had a hand in planning Munich. You're going to kill them, one by one. It's strange to think of oneself as an assassin. Think of yourself as something else then. You think you can outrun your fears? Your doubts.
All right, everybody, we are back from watching Munich from 2007, directed by Steven Spielberg. The one and only. The um, most thanked man at the Oscars. He is. He is. He's thanked more than God. Fucking wild. This man has made a ton of fucking films, and a lot of them are amazing. And I think music Munich is among them. I love this film, and I've learned a lot more about it and about the history behind it. So um, how do you feel, Austin? Uh, I I appreciate the sophisticated, not, is it sophisticated the right word? You know, when I'm thinking post, you know, 9-11 American cinema, like dealing with terrorists, they're often portrayed as like just evil people, you know? Mm-hmm. And they do evil things. There's there's a lot of hate in their hearts, but there's still there's a reason why they're they are the way they are, you know. And it's really uncomfortable to look at and think about. And I'm glad that this movie kind of goes in the the harder route and not just painting them as just evil people. You know what I mean? You're absolutely right. Especially after 9-11, there was a need to see Americans just kill terrorists. It, it was a, a cathartic experience to see an American win and beat the shit out of terrorists. Jack Bauer? Uh, yes, and I, I love 24. I fucking love 24. That shit is tight. But... When you grow older, there is something about it that just kind of feels a little wrong. And it's 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 still that cathartic experience. But when you grow older, it's just like it just feels a little off. And the thing about it is terrorism is not black and white. The only real time that I think it's kind of black and white are with like Nazis. You know what I mean? Like Nazis are evil. And, like, there's really, you can't com- combat that idea. But the thing is, not every not every terrorist group is a Nazi. You know what I mean? Is that a controversial thing to say? No. Okay. I think there's, like, uh, I, when there's, you think of... There's not- layers to it. And yeah. this film talks about that. Because this is a film all about terrorist attacks. All about assassinations. About killing. And this is nowhere near black and white. Yeah. And there's something cathartic about seeing 24 and seeing these terrorists that have no real background, no real um, human traits to them, just being mauled. And 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 I'm not going to lie. there's I appreciate that sometimes. That's why I love 24 so much. But when you really start thinking about it, there is something odd about it. And there is something kind of negative about it. You know, when you see... When you only see Muslim terrorists on TV, in on a on a subconscious level, it fucks with your perception of Muslims. I mean, it's same same thing with like when you see Mexicans, uh, drug dealers and narcos, or when you see black people playing thugs and gangsters on those like people are in gang gangs and terrorist groups and stuff like that because for a reason. Yeah. And sometimes it is not a black and white reason it is not a you know a nazi hates jews reason sometimes it's a lot more complicated than that and yeah and look i i still enjoy my cathartic 
experiences. Just seeing Jack Bauer fucking maul everyone in his way is super gratifying. But there's also, but I also really love these nuanced interpretations of these yeah. of these acts, and it's it makes you, yeah. it grounds you, you know, and it, it says, okay, look, you could enjoy your twenty fours, but that's not real life. You leave that in your fucking living room set. And yeah, if you want to exactly. have a real discussion about some of the shitty things, these are the realities. Yeah. They never, like the first thing that the um, the Black September group does is like they get into the, the um, what do you call it, the Olympic Village before they go on and like, you know, use their weapons to kidnap and eventually murder people. They like hug each other and kiss each other. Yeah. Like they're they're nervous too yeah real quick before we dive into the film let's just do a quick summary i'm just going to give you a 30 second minute description of what the film is about if you haven't seen munich spoilers ahead and if you haven't seen it i recommend it um and if you haven't seen it you could still listen to this we're going to spoil it but i mean this is just based off of real life you know and i don't think spoilers take away from the experience so with that being said Here's a quick summary of the film. So it begins with the Munich Massacre. In 1972, 11 Israeli Olympic athletes were taken hostage by a Palestinian militant group called Black September. Black September took these hostages and wanted Palestinian personnel taken out of Israeli prisons. The, the entire hostage situation was botched. It, I, there, it's a whole thing that we're gonna get into, but ultimately, it leads to the death of the of the Israeli athletes and the death of most of the terrorists except for two of them. Israel is pissed under the prime under the leadership of Prime Minister Golda Meir. She decides to okay Operation Wrath of God. So what a fucking name of an operation, am I right? Yeah. Wrath, Wrath of, of God. Of God, and the assignment is that she's going to put together a group of Mossad agents, and they're going to find the people responsible for Munich and kill them. They already know; they already have eleven names, which is, you know, the amount of Jews that were killed at the Munich Games. Eleven, and this is where we get our main character, Avner, played by Eric Bana, the handsome Eric Bana, might I say? Mm. <laughs> Three years after playing Hulk, but. Yeah. Eric Bana, and he is put as the leader of this task force, and their job is to go through all of Europe and assassinate these 11 people. And, as you could guess, shit hits the fucking fan. And this soon becomes a shitstorm. Things do not go well. They kill terrorists, the terrorists kill other people. They hire a Frenchman named Louis who works for a shady organization to find the terrorist groups and as he and as he gives them the names they go and they kill the terrorists it's it is back and forth until slowly the group begins to be hunted and slowly one after the other they are killed off until two remain at the end of the film Eric Bana this Avner decides to quit the operation and go to New York with his wife and his newborn uh, daughter and he officially leaves M- Mossad and it leads to a conversation between him and his handler overlooking the New York City skyscraper with the Twin Towers standing behind him. And that is the end of the film. Yeah. That's a very brief summary. Um, 
Yeah, there's like the thing about uh the Israeli government doesn't like officially sanction this mission. It's like a covert black ops. We'll pay you, but don't report back to us. Don't you're no longer Mossad agents. You're where you've been. You're off the records. Lo- no one knows who you are. I love and, and then he works like Louis's organization is never really like identified. No. He just knows that they don't work for governments. Yeah. And, you know, Avner's group, they're working for Israel. So right off the bat, there's like, well, there's a bit of, well, he has to lie to this guy now. There's some dramatic irony because you know they're Mossad and yet Louis doesn't. So you know that might add complications. Very quickly, he realizes who they are. You think so? Oh, definitely. Definitely. It's, uh, I think for, I think he has him for a while. He fooled. I think he hasn't fooled for a while. It's not until the Beirut incident where Louis finds out. I don't think even even then. Like as soon as he he meets him and they go shopping at the the market, mm-hmm. he says like, "Oh, it's been difficult for for you and your tribe or something." He he says the word tribe. I think yes. No, he does at the at the market. He says something where Avner responds to, I, "Oh, I'm not a Jew." And like he, he no, he knows you're a Jew, you know. And then especially when he brings him to see his uh, his papa in the French place, like they they make him. Uh, Louis tries to make him pray, yeah, so that he has like he knows he tries to make him. <laughs> but that organization is also working with the terrorists. They're like this neutral ground of information that you buy from, and whoever buys, you know spends the most money is given more priority but like they're still selling stuff to the other side to all sides you, you tapped that's it, how he knows you everything you tapped into something you said something right there you said that louis group is paying the terror or is giving the terrorist information see I, and i'm not too sure but it's this is one of the things that i love about this film it's the sense of ambiguity see there's a list of things that i love that a film does certain things that when a film does i fuck with i'm like i love this one of the things is that I love films that are slightly ambiguous. Now, what that means is not something that's, oh, it's uh, it's confusing and I don't know what's happening and all these plot threads are running through. I don't know. I want, I want some coherence. But I want the mystery of who is this person working for? Who are they attached to? What really happened there? Why are you excluding that information? Why didn't you show us that scene? And that creates a sense of mystery. And this film is chock full of mystery and ambiguity because we don't know who Louis works for or who what Louis's organization is about. And it's never confirmed if Louis actually gave the terrorist information. There's a scene where um what's his name? Carl one of the one of the men in the t- in the task force. Real quick, I'm going to break down Avner's team, the members that are that consist of it. So you have Avner, who is who was an ex Mossad agent, who was a who was a uh, a guard to Golda Meir. Now he's the leader. Then you have Steve, played by Daniel Craig, a future James Bond, a year before Casino Royale. He played, and people were like, he can't play blonde. He can't be. He can't play James Bond because he's blonde. Well, yes, he can. He's one of the greats. Anyway, he, Steve, is the kind of gun-touting, super, like, he is ready to shoot motherfuckers. Like, he, his, one of his quotes yeah. is, 
the only blood I care about is Jewish blood. This man says that. So he is totally for this mission. Then we have Robert, who is kind of the bomb expert. He constructs a lot of the bombs. They, They use bombs to send messages to the terrorists, right? And Robert is a little... Bombs terrify the terrorists, is what Abner says. Terif- way to terrify the terrorist. And <laughs> yeah. Robert is very nervous. He's kind of he's kind of uh, almost an introvert. And we actually find out later on that he is not a bomb maker. That's not his specialty. He is a bomb diffuser. He dismantles bombs. He doesn't build them. That's why all of his bombs go apeshit in the film. Then we have Hans who is a document expert. He forges their transcripts. He forges their passports. And Hans has a pretty dark character arc. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And lastly, we have Caro. The... He's also, for the beginning, the kind of accountant. I don't know accountant, but he's keeping track of the finances yes. of Operation Wrath of God. Yes, he is. And they spend a mm-hmm. fuck ton of money. Yeah. Like... Killing people is not cheap. And then we have Carl, who is kind of the moral center of the group. He's You guys might know him as uh, he was in Game of Thrones. He was the leader of the... Mance Raider from Game of Thrones. He was, yeah. yeah, he's part of the Wildlings. And he, was, he also did the voice for Steppenwolf in Justice League. It's kind of great because he plays the moral center of the group. He's the one who says, look... I want to ki- I want to bring justice. And if that means killing some people, yes, but I'm not going to let it change me. I am not going to revel in it. I am this is a job and I want to I am I am proudly Jewish, but I am not going to revel in their in the terrorists in the in the people we're killing their their deaths. Super He's also the first one to die. Yes. He is the, Carl is the complete opposite of Steve, where Steve revels in killing everyone, everyone who conspired in the Munich massacre. Carl does not. And he is the first one to die. And he dies a pretty shitty death. And, uh, and I think that's, that's the group. That is the, you have Avner, Steve, super killer, Carl, moral center, Robert, bomb guy, and Hans, the accountant. And together they go around Europe killing people. There is a certain ambiguity that this yeah you're talking about ambiguity that this film has that I love because you said that Louis was uh, feeding the terrorist information about Abner's group. I I don't know. There's no definitive proof in the film. In fact, you have Louis's father, the guy who's in charge of the group, going to Abner and saying, "Look, man, people are coming after you." But they are not coming after you with my information. I have nothing to do that with. I like you, and you just gonna have to take my word for it. Um, I think he does say in the the scene where he actually meets them when they're surrounded by the the security in the middle of Europe, of like the street corner. He says, uh, "Your your enemies buy my information." No, no, no. He doesn't say that. He says, "No harm will come to you from me." That's at the very end. Yeah. He's he, yeah. He says no harm will come. That can he puts a weird emphasis on me. Yes. No harm will come to you from me. No, well, that's the beauty of it. The ambiguity. <laughs> the ambiguity yeah. of that. It's you can interpret it different way. There's a scene where Carl 
is is theorizing all of these different things that could happen well louis might be mossad who's posing as someone else or louis might work for the cia or louis could be part palestinian and he might be working with the pila oh the palestinian liberation front or the palestine liberation organization so in, in mm-hmm. that's the thing there's just no clear line this film has such a literal ambiguity to it in terms of plot because you don't know who Louis works for. Certain events are very blurred, but also the moral ambiguity of it is something that yeah. I love because yeah. this is where we're going to go down. When you talk about terrorism, it's very easy to make it black and white to say they are the bad guys and we are the good guys. But the reality is it's very gray. And it's not clear cut. Hell, when I was reading about the Israeli-Palestine war that's been going on, it's not clear, you know? Reading about it more and more, you find out that, well, they attacked, but these guys have been lying, and these guys did this, and these guys... It's... There's there's no way. It's very... There's a a thing in the movie where, like, as soon as, you know, Black September is, like, a radical part of the PLO... Right? They're not. They're a militant. They're group. part of the P. They're but they're a part of the PLO, but they're more militant. Yes. Like they're a different head. They you know they they're like you you guys aren't doing enough. So they go. They kidnap the athletes, Israeli Olympians, and after you know they're the German police. There's the gunfire exchange of gunfire. All the hostages die. All but two or three of the terrorists die. Right after that, Israel bombs oh yes yes these palestinian camps well they say that they bomb training camps but they were refugee camps that's the ambiguity of it because we, we the film never declares and i've tried looking that up but i did too and like what, what, what these were refugee camps but they said they were training camps are they one in the same in aren't, the meeting aren't... where golda Meir okay's operation wrath of god she is one of her one of her uh, commanders says that we sent an airstrike and we bombed a training camp for uh, for terrorists. That that's in the beginning of the film. Before they said a, a PLO training yes. camp. Before they kill their second target, Mohammed Hamsha, Hamshari. I'm gonna butcher a lot of these names. Hamshari, yeah. Mohammed Mah- Hamshari. They bomb his phone. Okay. But yeah, but before that, uh, Ro- we were talking about when Robert is posing as a journalist. Yes. When Robert poses as a journalist to get in to have access to the apartment so he could take the schematics of the phone to put the bomb in, Hampshire references this exact airstrike and he says that it was a refugee camp. Yeah, and he says two hundred people dead. In the the other one, uh, in the beginning of the movie with the generals, he says at least sixty dead Arabs. And and the film never clears up who who's right and who's wrong. Like who, who's correct. Even if you like, if you go to the Wikipedia page of this like strike, it says sixty to two hundred casualties. Was it a refugee camp? Was it a tra- training group? Who knows? I th- I think there's a little bit of overlap. There there has to be, and this film forces you to come. It it, it is telling you that nothing is black and white, and that maybe they, they they launched that airstrike and maybe it killed some training camps but it also may have killed innocent people innocent yeah. people are a constant casualty in all of these mm-hmm. instances yeah 
and and like and in Olymp- real Olympian. and in real life too. So what? So yep. in, in real? Oh man, I'm, I can't wait to talk about this incident. Um, but it's in real life. It's even worse. It gets so much worse. Another thing that I love about films is that they need to have a certain simplicity to it. What I mean is so talking about that conv- that plots that are convoluted and confusing. I like ideas that are simple, but that could be ambiguous and you could expand upon that you could think and debate about that. Children of men. I talked about this with children of men. Super basic plot. Women cannot give birth. This one has a pretty basic starting point. It is revenge. Go kill these guys. Yes. Go kill these 11 names. They killed our people. We're going to kill them. Simple. Easy peasy lemon squeezing. But the film gets really complicated and once you start really thinking about it yes they may have killed our people but are we in the right to hunt them down and kill them even at the cost of civilian life well they at the beginning they're like oh no we can't no civilians no civilians no civilians but that's a compromise that they're willing Um, to make eventually it it is towards um when they're they're bombing the the guys apart the tv bomb I, i think they're a little bit less concerned about uh killing um ali and they go and kill the replacement of of the guy, someone not on the list. Like as the film goes on, they they are more willing to kill more people to get the job done. You're absolutely right. At first, they kill the people who are on their list. Mossad says, "You have eleven names. Go kill them." We know that they had a part in the Munich massacre. Go kill them. Eventually, though, they decide to go kill or replace him because Louis gave him the information. But we have no idea who the fuck Louis works for. That could have been a friendly, for all we know. Well, the thing is, they they kill a guy who's the KGB contact. So obviously, they want the uh, be it Black September or PLO. They want to, re- to replace that position to maintain contact with the KGB. That's the guy that they go back and kill. But in the process, they kill a KGB agent. So now the KGB's upset that these Mossad agents killed their guy. They want revenge. So they send the Danish assassin to to kill one of the Mossad agents to make up for the KGB agent and then the Mossad agents go and find that Danish woman because they can't get to the KGB and they kill her and she's not on the list yeah and it is a brutal death they have no sympathy for that yeah. woman at all because they they killed our she friend. killed our homeboy yeah. but they bru- they kill her brutally I don't even know I've Look, man, I've seen and played so many video games that have guns. I have no idea what the fuck they used to kill her. Because it's like a... It's, think of a um, clarinet. Think of a metal pipe. And on one end, you put a metal ball. And you put a trigger on top to cover up that hole. You hit it with your palm. And it shoots out that ball. And it penetrates you. But it doesn't instantly kill you. Or if it hits you in the body. They shoot her multiple times. It gets to the point... Where when she, she she has holes in her in her throat, yeah, and when it, she breathes, you, you never, when she breathes, breathes, blood comes out of her, just pouring over her. Yeah, like, what the fuck? Is- like you're not allowed to enjoy the violence no. that you're seeing. It's not like yeah, get her. It's no, like, oh, it's super oh. uncomfortable. Oh, she has a cat. Oh gets, no, don't kill the cat. It's oh, so God. off-putting. It is yeah. super off-putting. She's just trying to 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 live, and they. And they demean her even more because when she has, because she's naked, but she has her like um, blouse or her like, um, like a blouse or not a blouse, um, like a shower. Uh, what does she have? A, a robe. robe. She has a robe on and she lays on a chair as she's dying. Hans puts one pellet in her head 
instantly killing her. And I think Avner tries to cover up her body, at least some dignity. And Hans moves it. He's like, no, let her die naked. Let him see what happens when you fuck with yeah. us. This is now an exhibition of murder, of assassination. And all, all of that death like slowly takes a part of the uh Armasad agents' souls. Like they be they become disgusted with themselves. Hans in the they... following scene. It's like a it's like a horror film. The way it's filmed with the wide angles, yeah. with the wide lenses, because Hans is just reflecting. He's like, Look, man, I don't regret killing her, but I regret not putting on her robe. Because there's like it's almost like it was animalistic. He he wasn't in the yeah, like, he wasn't in the right mind. He his anger consumed mm-hmm. him so much that he was like, "Fuck this woman, fuck this bitch. Let her die naked. And let everyone see what we do when you fuck with us." And it and yeah. he regrets that. And in the scene after, he dies. He gets killed. We don't know by who. <laughs> this film starts off very gun toting. Like, yeah, find these guys and fuck them up. The first guy, like the first guy, like you don't see like villains twirling their mustaches you know like laughing at you know dead jews on tv those aren't the people that you see in this movie like the first guy he's just trying to translate a thousand and one arabian nights he's doing a public reading of it in uh paris i think you know in, in, in italy. italy he's translating it to italian yeah and then like they're following him and then he like goes to the grocery store, pays for his groceries, and he asks the woman, Hey, can I use your phone? And she's like, Oh yeah, sure. And then he tries Tip to her. to pay for it. And she's like, Oh no, no, you don't need to do that. And he's like, No, I insist, I insist. Like, this is the guy they're right about to kill. He just he seems like a normal person, like a normal old he's guy. He's not the idea of what you think of when you think of planning a massacre. He's not a terrorist. Yeah. And they they shoot his ass. But it's it's not they hesitate before shooting him because they're I feel like they're kind of um, off put by seeing him like just live his life and not. I think Steve says it at some points like you're you're confused because the Arabs you're killing aren't in some hut in the desert. They are in polite society with fancy clothes absolutely it's so weird because you start the film off the film begins with a recreation of the munich massacre to set it up they start off showing the terrorists taking over the room and the standoff they show you a couple of the events and then you know that they're headed to the airport and you're following the newscasters the television people and you just hear gunshots and giant explosions and then you hear that the israeli athletes die Throughout the film, we constantly come back to the recreation, but showing you new aspects of it. The athletes being pushed on the bus, them heading out to the chopper, heading out to the plane. And you also see a few of them escape. And then one guy who literally has one of his legs out the door, but he turns around, sees a knife and decides to to fight back. Did you know that? Did you know that one of the athletes in that film, you know, the guy that got his mouth shot? Yeah. He's the son of one of the athletes. He played <gasps> he played his father's role. There's a there's an oh athlete who tries fighting back and he gets shot in the mouth. His that's what happened to his father. Holy shit. Super right? This film was so, was like this film was so extensive in in trying to portray all of this. Yeah. It's wild. But when that when that Munich massacre ends and you hear about the athletes dying, there's almost like you almost become red-blooded. Like, you want to... Like, all right, get them back. 
don't let them fuck with yeah. you. But as it, as you start seeing these the people they're killing, the way they're being killed, the cost of it, not not the financial cost, but the emotional cost, the mental cost, what it leads to, you're just like, you're just exhausted by the end. Yeah, and every time they kill someone, something worse happens. Oh, like the there's the Athens massacre. There's they start mailing letters to to Israeli embassies and they're exploding. You notice that after every time they kill someone, they end up watching the TV and and Black yeah. September just did something else. Oh, well, they killed one of us. We're going to blow up in their port. We're we're going to send stuff to yeah. the Israeli embassies and blow them up. It's what the fuck, man? So the response is killing, and they're going to their response is killing. So what the fuck? What are we doing? Yeah, and it's this cycle it's, of violence, which is pretty much kind of sums up the relationship between Palestine and Israel. Yeah, there have been wars constantly and con like back and forth battles and arguments, and nobody can seem to. Well, you guys threw the first rock. Well, we are just responding to what you did. You know, you guys started this war, the six day war. Well, we're just going to because of the result of that, we're just going to take land that, you know, you lost because you started throw, uh, had a war with us. No, but that's not fair because that wasn't part of the deal. Well, you declined the deal. Well, shit, fuck you. It's that's what it is. It's just back and yeah. forth. And and then I, I feel like a lot of people are like, well, that's their problem, you know, yeah. and the other countries try to like make sure it stays their problem. There's a scene in the movie when Avner and his team try to kill Salame. And Salame's like Oh yeah. The the head of Black September. He's kind of he's kind of protected he's kind of, by the CIA. Salame is kind of seen as like the big bad. And in the scene where they're yeah. about to kill him. He's the only guy that I think that they show as like a traditional movie villain. Like that guy's a bad guy. He doesn't even hold his own umbrella. Yeah. And uh, he's wearing his big black shades. And um, yeah. And when they're about to go kill him, they're about to pull their guns in the middle of the rain. They get they uh, Avner gets stopped by this white guy, this American. This American's like, hey, I recognize you. You and I party that blah, 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 blah. Stopping the assassination. And yeah. uh, and, and when you see the Americans drive off, because it's like three of them, they're flipping Ad Ad Avner off. Did you see that? They're like, it's synchronized flipping off. Like, you you guys are all together. You're all fucking CIA. But, and then th that's followed by the scene with Carl, which I talked about earlier, where he's like, they could have been CIA. Uh, we don't, they could have been real drunk Americans. We don't know. Oh, they were definitely CIA. I think they were. Because the scene, the scene before that, he's like, okay, I'll get, uh, Louis is like, okay, I know where Salame is, but the reason he's so protected is because the CIA is giving him a lot of money not to attack Americans mm -hmm. and they don't ask what he's doing with those with that money as you know you see a tv with the Athens shooting where an airport in, in Greece was sh shot to hell and like what what are what they're trying to do is to like you know protect our people by like making sure you guys fight amongst yourselves yeah. it's a wild journey it's a wild film it's just every act of violence is met with another act of violence. It's just it's just a, a whirlwind of killing. And the film does never plays itself like it's an episode of 24. Yeah, like you know that Steven Spielberg is Jewish. You know that I think I'm pretty sure is Eric Bana Jewish? I'm not sure. Well, you know, it's coming from like a Jew's perspective. perspective. Yes. But he's not like painting Israel as like the the perfect 
like nation you know he's and he's not portraying the palestinians as like awful people he like there's that scene that he that um so there's a scene in the movie where Avner's group you know they've had like a, a run-in with louis louis upset with them so he has them stay in a safe house in greece to kill their next target however the safe house he, he also gives access to the safe house to a plo group <laughs> and there's like the a mexican standoff but the Mossad agents, Avner's group, they lie and say that, oh, we're, we're he's Africans, I'm I'm ETA. And so and then they're like, oh, okay. So then they all hang out, sort of. And there's a scene between Ali, who's part of the PLO, and Avner. Who's pretending to be German. And they're talking about the conflict between Israel and Palestine. And he he says that, oh, the Palestinians are fighting for a nation, they're fighting for a home. And Israel, or uh, not Israel, Avner says, you're never going to get it. Like, you're, it's not going to happen. It's not real. Why are you fighting for, for dirt? And he's like, home is everything. And the world will eventually listen to us. And he's like, by killing people? It's like, yeah, eventually they'll see why we're doing it. Eventually, the Arab states will rise against Israel. They don't like Palestinians, but they hate the Jews more. It won't be like 1967. The rest of the world will see by then what the Israelis do to us. They won't help when Egypt and Syria attack. Even Jordan. Israel will cease to exist. What? This is a dream. You can't take back a country you never had. You sound like a Jew. Fuck you. I'm the voice inside your head telling you what you already know. You people have nothing to bargain with. You'll never get the land back. You'll all die old men in refugee camps waiting for Palestine. We have a lot of children. They'll have children, so we can wait forever. And if we need to, we can make the whole planet unsafe for Jews. You kill Jews, and the world feels bad for them and thinks you're animals. Yes. But then the world will see how they've made us into animals. They'll start to ask questions about the conditions in our cages. You are Arabs. There are lots of places for Arabs. <laughs> you're a Jew sympathizer. All you Germans, you're too soft on Israel. Well, you give us money, but you feel guilty about Hitler. And the Jews exploit that guilt. My father didn't gas any Jews. Tell me something, Ali. What? Do you really miss your father's olive trees? Do you honestly think you have to get back all that, that nothing, that chalky soil and stone hearts? Is that what you really want for your children? It absolutely is. It will take a hundred years, but we'll win. How long did it take the Jews to get their own country? How long did it take the Germans to make Germany? And look how well that worked out. You don't know what it is not to have a home. That's why you European Reds don't get it. You say it's nothing, but you have a home to come back to. ETA, ANC, IRA, we all pretend we care about your international revolution, but we don't care. We want to be nations. Home is everything. And that scene, that can... scene is so sad because 
it's sad because it just shows that nobody's willing to give up killing. Because this man's like, our kids are gonna have kids, and this is our kids are, will have kids, and those kids will have kids, and we will fight as long as we have to. We will kill until we need to stop. And Avner, an Israeli, a Mossad age, it's just like it's stupid. Like you've lost. Just give up. The more Jews you kill, the more those sympathetic, like those, the more those Jews seem sympathetic to the world. The world hates you even more. And the guy's like, it doesn't matter. They're gonna, the world's gonna see what has been done to us, what Dave made us do. And eventually, uh, the scene ends, but Avner's team goes to kill the uh, their next target, who is protected by Ali and his group. And uh, Carl, or Hans, I believe. Hans or Carl kill Ali as they're driving away. Just this, It's just a signifier that just more blood's going to be spilled. These Yeah, and then... You see that scene again, sort of, between Robert and um, Avner. Because Robert's like, it's right before they go off and kill the Danish woman. He's like, D- what are we doing? Like, this isn't what being Jewish is. This isn't righteousness. And he's like, well, eventually we'll, it'll stop once we kill them all. Like, you you kind of sound like Ali right before he you died. Don't, he you know? does not sound different at all. There's a scene where Avner's like, I will kill, like, they'll give us more targets and I'll kill them and I'll kill those guys and I'll kill the people they replace. I think it was after they killed the Danish woman where he's just, he's cooking and he just seems manic. It's like, I'm going to kill them and I'm going to kill the people who they replace and I'm going to keep killing until I die. And he's just like, bro, you do not sound that different from Ali. And that dude died a painful death, a tragic death. Mm -hmm. He died, uh, you know, talking about lineage you know uh talking about home like well in that previous conversation at the safe house and at the same time avner he's doing this for his home for for uh his kid it's almost like something that he's just gonna pass that he's destined to pass down he's meant to he's meant to carry the munich massacre with him and pass it down to his family and to his kid until someone gives up yeah and it's it doesn't seem like either side is is going to give up like when each side doesn't seem like they believe the other should exist like palestine palestine doesn't believe israel should exist as a nation and israel doesn't it's, think doesn't recognize palestine as, as a nation. I, I wouldn't say that i would say that it's more of like they're willing to see the other they they, they don't want to compromise what they've what they want right palestine wants its nation israel does not want to give up any that in the other side's like look this is what we want so you either get on the page or you don't that is that and both sides are are that and it's the it's the same way in the film where it's like look we are going to keep killing your black september group whether you like it or not and black september is like well we're just going to keep killing you guys and innocent people like and the Israel's reply with, "All right, we're gonna kill people as long as you keep killing people." There is no change in hands. There's no end to There's it. There's none. And the thing about it is, this film is actually less about the Israeli and Palestinian conflict than you would think. The film talks about it, and it's in the background, and it's, it's the clear like this is the backdrop of the film. But the film isn't really concerned about that or not, not concerned, but it's not, 
its primary focus. What this focus, knowing Spielberg and knowing his sentimentality, how he focuses on sentimentality, Spielberg's focus for the film is about the humanity of people and what happens to that humanity when you kill people. The, the, what happens to you emotionally, mentally, um, to a person. Because I think the climax of the film really is Avner's sex scene with his wife at the end. Um, I, I, I kind of don't like that scene. You, you don't like it. I don't it's funny like it. Because a lot of people don't. Uh, that scene is actually very, very not liked. <laughs> you didn't like the sex scene at the end. I did not. Okay. So as the film goes on, you see flashbacks back to the Munich massacre. You get like a little bit more of what happened and then it stops. And then something happens in Avner's plot. And then back to the flashback of what else happened in the Munich massacre. Um, I think it's supposed to be something that Avner thinks about to motivate himself to get him over to the next assignment or to, to move on after he's murdered someone or one of his friends died or now he's getting on a plane doesn't know he's going to see his his family again so at the very end of the movie he's um moved to new york with his wife and child and he's just like a shell of a person like he looks super pale uh, he's, he's a shell of a person and his wife tries to initiate intimacy she starts to initiate sex and he's like okay and the, it's just like a weird camera angle where you see him thrusting but he, it's going back to the like the end of the munich massacre it's right when the german police open fire kills one of the terrorists and in response they kill all of the israeli hostages they throw a grenade in the chopper in the helicopter, one of them guns them down. Help, like the the athletes are helpless as they're like they're tied up in the helicopter and they're just like shooting an AK at them. Um, it's and and these are cut in between. You have the sex scene where Avner gets more uh, aggressive and he gets uh, he gets more passionate. The incident as the massacre is happening and it climaxes where he like. He's sweaty and he's on top of her and like lights are flashing looks, in his room to emulate the gunfire. Like it looks like they dumped a bottle of water over his head. Oh, it's a bucket. And then he like he like whips his head back and up and there's so that, you get like all the water. There's everywhere. that poetic like opera like music. Not opera, but it's like, ah! it's very jarring. Like as the Jewish hostages are being massacred. Yes. Uh, in in look and when yeah when you watch some some sex scenes in film some of them are hot some of them are sexy uh, this is not that some of them are you will you will not find this sex scene on Pornhub I guarantee you this is a super jarring off putting scene it's not something you can take pleasure from. no 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 it is not um I like the scene though because I think it shows his he carries this massacre with him. This is on him now. This has consumed his entire soul. And the one thing that kind of brings him back down to earth is his wife. Who, when when they cut to her, she is not sweaty. She's the opposite. She's calm. This is this is juxtaposed to Eric Bana just like yelling and screaming and sweaty. 
She looks like she knows exactly what he's thinking yes. about. And she puts her hands on his face and tries to, like, she slowly, like, pulls her hands down across his face. And it's that Spielberg sentimentality that family is, it, it's, it, they are the ultimate savior. You, you, you rely on your family. I don't think he's saved in that scene, though. Not, not saved, but she kind of, it's, it's the beginning, it's, she kind of, like, puts that part of Avner slowly to rest. And she, it's, I, it's I don't, because right after that, doesn't he go to the embassy? Well, he, um, he thinks she's, he's being followed. And then he says, call Efrain and tell, Efrain's his, at his handler. Tell him that I know stuff and that I'm going to leak all of it. It's not, she calms him down, but it, to me, it's, look, those demons that he has are never going to be put to rest entirely, but it's yeah. kind of like her saying, like, I'm here. You don't have to yeah. go through this alone. I am here. I understand what you're going through. Please come home. And in your, you're absolutely right. There's no way that um, Abner's demons are gone or even put to rest, but he has yeah. some PTSD from the, uh, from all the assassinations. Yeah, definitely. I have a quote from the from the uh, DP, the director of photography, John News Kaminsky, and he said this. He okay. said this line: "It's not a delicate little scene. It is what it is." And Spielberg wanted to take this chance because it reflected the movie, his anger, his primal fear, his primal desire to be alive. To be with a woman allows you to be who you are, and Avner's orgasm reflects the state of Israel and how sometimes it feels like it wants to scream and yell. That's how I understood the scene, at least. It's very complicated, but they, I think it reflect. I think what he's getting at is that this scene, this sex scene, sex brings out kind of a the primal nature in us, and this scene is really his his fears and his anger, but his desire for sex and control. And for redemption, and for it, just, it comes out at the scene, and that's why I think this is the climax of the film. I think this is the emotional peak of Avner's story, and from there, it's just a resolution of where he's at and whether he might come to terms with what he did. And that's why I really like it. It's not uh, I, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I understand people not liking it because it's goodness gracious it's i think awkward. like i can I, I can appreciate people trying to make different kinds of of sex scenes making sex scenes like they're i mean there's part of the appeal of a sex scene is to see like really attractive people you know going at it and i think there's like a like a voyeuristic pleasure to be taken from oh, no that doubt. no doubt but it's it's like but you can do so much with it you know there's there's a reason there should be a reason that you have like a sex scene other than like, Oh, we want to like, you know, and I appreciate when a movie does try to like show something with, with sexuality, mm -hmm. but for some reason, this one, it just feels too artsy, I think. Okay. Fair enough. And it's, it's a, it's a real event that happened. You know, it's like, I don't almost too feels too staged. Know. It feels too. Hmm. I think if you would have had more sex scenes with the wife and you can see how the sex changes with between them because it's just the one well, no, there's, where she's pregnant. Oh, when she's, yeah, well, the film starts off with a sex scene and it ends with the sex scene. You see you see them having sex when she's pregnant in the beginning of the film before he leaves. 
Um, and that's yeah. a hot scene, but it's. I think if you would have, you if you would have had more, then you can see how, like, like the rule of threes, like you could see how things change. You know, uh, I guess there's, like, when he meets the Danish woman, the, the assassin. I think he what he wants to have sex. Oh, absolutely. With her. Oh, he wants to fuck. That's why he goes, like he he's like, oh, no, I have, I'm a family man. I have, I have a, a wife at home. So he goes and calls, and he hears his daughter for the first time. And I think some part of him feels like he doesn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. So then he goes back down to look for the woman to have sex with her, and then he's like, oh, she's not there. And then he goes back upstairs, and he smells her perfume, and then he's like, oh, what's the guy's Carl? Car- Carl? Carl, you you asshole! I I saw her first, and then he discovers Carl's body. It's um, it's so it, I, that scene. I was thinking like that could have been you, bro. If you had uh, committed infidelity, that would have been you. <laughs> no, it's sex has a there is its place in the film where you know part of it's weaponized and part of it is about coming home and 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 feeling that sort of comfort and also a release. Um, there's. There's also that one scene when um, he's he sees the newlyweds, and he's like, "Oh, that that oh that used scene. to be me." Fuck, that scene is super. Ooh, because the newlyweds come in when they just they kill their fourth target, I believe. Yeah, it, in the right. in the fourth in the in the third bombing, or in the second bombing, third killing of the film, it's at a hotel, and Avner gets a room. Right next to the assat to to the guy that's gonna get assassinated, and the room next to them, it's a newlywed couple, and they're having sex when the bomb goes off. And this bomb is super big; it is a big explosion. It destroys Avner's room. It almost kills him, probably. It yeah. And then he goes over to check on the the newlywed couple to make sure that they're okay. They're naked, and the and woman can't... can't see anything. Her we don't know if her eyes are fine or not. It is a super. What, I will come back to that yeah. scene, but I that's I think that's one of my favorite f- films just because of the way it's filmed and done. Yeah, so like I think my problem with that that scene at the end is I don't I think there needed to be more sex scenes between him and his wife to to get the feel that so oh, something is changing between them because having this one at the end, there's like seeing the massacre mm-hmm. and the shot specifically where he orgasms is like it's very artsy, you know, yeah. and it's a little like too much for me it's a little like i don't know i just didn't do you want to say it's like something like over dramatic yeah over dramatic yeah definitely and i kind of feel the same i I really do like the way this movie's like visually composed Mm -hmm. like we we could talk about that in a second but in this that scene where he's looking for the bombs i feel like that one too is a little bit over dramatic because he is checking the exact same things that they use to kill the their targets and then he goes into the bed the the closet and the camera goes in and you can see like the shade that's perfectly like at his eye line so you can see his face through the closet absolutely it's well you, you it's funny because i think your criticism of that sex scene and of that scene is pretty embl- is a criticism that people have of this film and also of Steven Spielberg as a gen- in general, which is he is not subtle. He, St- Steven Spielberg 
is not a subtle filmmaker. Now, some of his filmmaking techniques might be, but in terms of story elements and symbolisms, he is not. Um, there is really, there's no nuance to some of those scenes. Like the sex scene with his it's, wife, it yeah. is outrageous to say, to put it, and I like the scene, and I even I think it's outrageous. Not in a laughing there's way. Some, there's some cases where like I really do appreciate the the uh, camera work um it's like so for all the scoping out and bombing scenes you see where different people like you see um steve in the car right and then you you see somebody cross the frame and then you follow them and then that leads you to, to um carl sitting at the restaurant you know and there's a lot to well, this this the camera motion guides you to like what you're supposed to be paying attention to and how this is all like a very complicated, precise operation. If we're going to talk about the visuals now, there is this um, this is a spy thriller film, right? And the whole con- the whole um one of the tropes is seeing people from far away, and that's something that Spielberg really implements in this film. He has he'll have entire scenes play out and on a zoom lens and he will zoom out to show you whose perspective it is from. And sometimes when you see these scenes from, from, from a, on a zoom lens, he won't cut away to give the impression that they're being seen and watched and that someone is perhaps looking at them, you know, from far away. A lot of these, a lot of these assassination attempts, that's how they're started off with the first guy, the guy, the Italian, the guy in Italy, we zoom out to see that Steve is watching him from the car in the in the house one. They're they're constantly moving the camera to show you the placement of all the agents where they're at. Carl's over here. He's going to communicate to Avner, who's on the phone, who's gonna talk to Robert, who's with the detonator. In the third one, they're setting they're setting up the location of the hotel. We're gonna zoom out to show Steve in the car as well. Again, and when you, you see all of that with the music, it's all like, the score. It's so it's so like suspenseful. Oh, and it's like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Well, you know, shit's about to hit the fan. And it's yeah. just this slow buildup. And I, I love it because he's just he is just doing his Spielbergness where he will set up these multiple compositions into one shot. And then he'll he'll cut according to actors moving within the scene. He'll set up these moments of planning with a lot of planning done from his part. And he'll say, yes, is it? Yeah. And it's done very deliberately and very suspenseful. You're just like, yeah, the way it's filmed is very deliberate and it's very complicated. Like it, it probably took a few days to get some of this stuff done. And you're not really you know, if you're the average moviegoer who doesn't really know how they film stuff, it, it I don't know if you, you you could appreciate it as much. But if you like watch this scene and try to think about, man, they they had to set up all these people and film this all in one take. It, there's a lot to there's a lot of things that are moving around. It's, it's very complicated. It's very complicated, and Spielberg does it very well. That's that's why. That's why his films have a certain level of sophistication. While their stories may be very sentimental and not subtle and cliche kind of, his filmmaking is very on point. He will he will set up shots at the beginning and he'll move to a second composition and then he'll end on the third competition, composition, which will allude to what the next frame is. And then he'll do all of this seamless. And the thing is, 
you're not supposed to notice it. One of my favorite fi- videos uh, from um, YouTube is um, Every Frame of Painting that talks about this. Talks about how there are films that will have one takes that are very noticeable and obvious. Children of Men being one of them. Yeah. Um, Birdman, a film that was done entirely in one take. But this film and a lot of Spielberg films are like, no... You're not supposed to notice the long take. You are supposed to be immersed in the story. You're not even supposed to be thinking about yeah. how film, how we filmed it or how complicated it was. You just know how you feel. Exactly. When you're watching it. You're supposed to feel the tension of the scene, the suspense, the buildup that something bad is going to happen and you're just about to see it. And that and that is the hotel yeah. scene in general. Because because yeah. you because you have this couple that's established. How are they going to be involved? You have Avner, who's talking to his the guy he's about to kill, and Avner's nervous. There's some sense of tension there, and it kind of put- yeah. And the guy is like perfectly polite. He's not making any comments about oh, I, I wish I could see her naked. You know, he's, he's not a. It's just leading. It's just leaning into that like it, the the idea that these guys that they're killing are really polite and they're not playing. They're not the mustache curling villains. And Avner's like, I'm about to kill this dude. And I have to have a conversation with him. There's some tension there. And it slowly quiets down to where Avner is going to turn off his lights, the, the lights in his room. And that's going to signal to Robert to turn the detonator, to, to, turn the, to detonate the bomb. And when it happens, it goes from very quiet to fucking exploding the fucking wall apart destroying the fan and pushing Avner to the wall. It is this... On the other side of the room. On the other side of the room. And the music kicks up. And you just see everyone going, freaking out and going from zero to ten. The tension that was subtle and underneath is finally out there. It's... it, it blew, That scene is like a grenade. From the moment it's... From the moment that Avner takes... Turns off that lamp is when the grenade pin comes off and it explodes and oh shit is it wild because the entire set just blows up you have uh avner goes to the to his target's room and you just see a hand hanging from the ceiling floating on the fan that like as the fan is spinning you can kind of see the the arm like rotating a little bit it's really graphic wait for the signal wait for Avner's light to go out And that dude is gone. He's obliterated. Yeah. And then you see the couple naked. And, and look, man, again, look, naked women are my thing, but there is nothing Jesus appealing Christ. about this. This is, these, they, they were doing nothing. They were doing nothing. They, they yeah. were having sex. They were, all, they, they were Jews too. And oh my, they were? Well, one of them, one of them was a Jew. You remember? How? 
she because they they talk about oh there's a newlywed that moved into the room next to him uh, a jew and a gentile or something oh that's per- I, I i i didn't even catch that but that that yeah. right there that fucking symbolizes the entire film while Avner is out killing yeah. blood, he is hurting innocent people at the same time. And one of them just happens to be Jewish. Come on. And they knew that before going in with the with a bomb. Why do they want to use bombs? Because they want to talk to the terrorists. They want to use the same language they do. Oh, my God. I, yeah. I didn't even catch that they were Jewish. That's per- that's perfect right there. Well, they, uh, so after that hotel scene, they start. Um, he meets with Louis and tells him that a few of them are in Beirut. So, so Abner's team goes to Beirut to kill three of the th- three of their targets, and it is a huge siege. They bring in um, a lot of muscle. Some of the guys that they that they bring on are dressed as women to infiltrate to get close to the guards, kill them, and yeah, they they kill their targets. And they and in real life, forty people died. Police got involved. What? Yeah, they don't show that in the film, but police in real life got involved with the shooting. They didn't say how many police officers died, but police get involved. And 40 people died from that night. The documentary that I, the clip that I saw actually interviewed someone in the building when that siege happened, when they killed the people. And his dad was the guy that was killed. And Jesus they, Christ. And they, he's, the, the guy goes on to say, they, they were going to kill me, but they realized that I was unarmed and they let me go. I can't help but think that that the guy that they interviewed was that kid in the film because yeah. they go over they whap they they whip pan real quick and this kid is seen holding a baseball bat and after runs in front no 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 he's innocent and they let him go and the kid looks at his dead parents uh, yeah assume assumedly i can't help but think that that was the person that they or he's like you know supposed to be a stand-in for that because they like zoom in on him you you see his face and like oh is he gonna come back later what's the deal with um, him? but now i'm like oh okay it's well that's not that that's not totally a wrong thing to think he sees these people murdering yeah. his father and his mom you, i mean you kill my parents uh, how am i gonna react yeah you know what i mean that's just uh it just goes back to revenge breeds revenge you're yeah you're gonna make this kid join plo or join the black september and if you and if you are of the same mentality that avner has or ali has avner either is either going to kill this kid or this kid's gonna have to kill avner and from the movie has been building up there is no other way around it and that is fucking sad yeah we've talked a lot about the plot we, we might get back to it eventually but Can, i wanted to talk about some uh, of the real life yeah yeah i was gonna ask like what else what else was based in truth well like, i wanted an actual event. i wanted to talk about some of the historical inaccuracies because it's a hollywood film there are going to be inaccuracies starting off Mossad never actually sent one group and the film kind of implies that a little at the end but it make it if you weren't the only team they weren't the right? only team yes there were but Mossad said that they had multiple groups all over working with them they didn't Mossad never hired someone a french man named louis Mossad gathered their own intelligence usually from palestinian informants and that's how they decided to kill to find their targets they never started off with 11 names the film does this notion of okay they killed 11 of ours we're going to kill 11 people who planned munich in real life that didn't happen that um was uh they found that they knew people but they kind of gathered more information from there a lot of the assassinations are real 
they did play out the way they did. And Black, T Black September's responses were real. Louis didn't exist though. Now here's where you get into tricky spots because a lot of this had been verified. The assassinations, that Israel was behind it. But this, this movie is based off a book. It's based on a book by Vengeance by George Jonas who interviewed someone. And their name, their their code name was Avner, and George Jonas interviewed this person and said, "This is what Avner did." And Avner kind of told his story because he was part of the group doing the assassinations, and he kind of broke it down. And this, this, and this, this happened this way, and that, and that's where the movie's based off of. But since the release of the book, a lot of people have said that it has been the the book has been. Um, uh, fact-checked or uh, not fact-checked but it's been denounced or it's been challenged people have said it's not real um Mossad agents ex-Mossad agents have said the book is not real it doesn't happen who the fuck do we know though like well, how do we know it's real Mossad lied about a lot of this until they were ca caught you know it's not it's yeah. not real George Jonas says that I stand by what I stand by Ovner I believe his story and Steven Spielberg says that we did our own research and I stand by it as well. But who knows? We, we don't know how much of the book is real. So a lot of this is already up to debate. But one thing that is very real and it is going to blow your fucking mind, man, is that at the end of the film, they don't kill Salame, the, the, the architect of Munich, the big bad. Yeah, yeah. But there's a title. The only title card in the movie is like... Uh, of the 11 names, nine of them died, including Salame. Salame, right? Yeah, they don't talk about how he died. The real life is pretty fucked up. It's called the Lilyhammer Affair. Let me read you the basic synopsis of this. This is a real thing. This happened in, 19, in July of 1973, a year after the Munich Olympics. The Lilyhammer effect was the killing by Mossad agents of Ahmed, a Moroccan waiter and brother of the re of a renowned musician in Lilyhammer, Norway, on on twenty first on the twenty first of July, nineteen seventy three. The Israeli agents had mistaken their target for Ali Hassan Salame, the chief of operations for Black September. They killed an innocent person. Wow. Six of the Mossad team of 15 were captured and convicted of complicity in the killing of the Norwegian justice by the ju Norwegian justice system in a ma major blow to the intelligence agency's reputation. So as it goes, they had done a lot of Mossad had done a lot of recon. They had they, they wanted to kill Salame and they had found they had information that he was hanging out in Norway. So they go over, uh, I think it was roughly about, uh, how many, how many agents did they, like, uh, 15 agents and they were noticed by police because yeah, Lily, Lilyhammer is apparently a really small town. So police had noticed and started following them. They had found someone who looked like Salame, the waiter, Ahmed. Oh my God. And they thought that that was him, but one female agent said that she wasn't sure that she had her doubts whether that was a real Salame or not. And you know what they did with her? They ignored her and they went with the killing. They killed oh him. They God. shot him. They shot him 13 times with pistols in front of his pregnant wife. Jesus Christ. 
and they ran away. They ran away using a car and a license plate, right? That they that they had. The next day, so some of the agents that did the killing ran away. They left, but some of the agents that had stayed behind used that same vehicle to take to go to the airport to leave Norway, and that's when they were captured by Nor- Norwegian police. Jeez, it's like they wanted one, to get caught. One of the agents, what's his name? Dan. Oh, what's his name? Uh, Dan. Oh, Dan Arbell. One of the agents that they arrested, Dan Arbell was claustrophobic so when they put him in a small tiny cell he immediately gave up and said that he would tell them everything they wanted to know in exchange for a larger cell and that's where he spilled the beans on everything he told them who he worked for he told them what they were there for he told them that they had he had admitted to the killing of Ahmed he had told them about Operation Wrath of God this man opened up about everything Jesus and Israel was embarrassed and this led to huge political and international scrutiny because israel had okayed an assassination international assassination an international assassination and they killed an innocent person and to this day israel has still not forgiven has have still not apologized for it what no israel to this day has not apologized for it now they have comp financially compensated the widow but they have never truly acknowledged that i think that they said that they were they felt sorrow um here it is an israeli statement was also issued which stopped short of an apology but ex- but expressed sorrow over ahmed's unfortunate death that is wild how do you like why would salame disguise himself as a waiter they said that they looked the same it doesn't make sense but that's what they claim to do that's what they just said, well, that's that's him. I mean, like, my knowledge of Salame is, like, the guy who won't hold his own, own umbrella in, in yeah. uh, the Munich movie. So I don't really know much about him. They know him. They knew him as the Red Prince. Yeah, some dude calling himself the Red Prince wouldn't be a waiter. Because of how many people he killed. Jesus that Christ. That was his nickname. He murdered so many people. He was the... He... Before Munich, there was a, a terrorist attack on an airport, and he was the pl- he was the lead organizer on that. This man is was vicious, but they got it wrong, and they didn't kill him until 1978, when he was killed in a bomb, a bomb, expl- uh, a car explosion. They car bombed him. They car bombed him. They or no, I'm sorry. In 19, I believe in 1979, they killed him. The Mossad later found Ali Hassan Salame in Beirut and killed him on the 22nd of January 1979 with a remote-controlled car bomb in an attack that also caused the death of four of his bodyguards, four civilians, and injured 18 others. Jesus. There is so much innocent bloodshed that's been that's been lost because of this. Yeah. And the film doesn't even the film doesn't talk about that. The film does reference it a little bit. Yeah, because uh, 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 what's his name? Steve is like, you have to be sure. Is it Salame? No, 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 no. no. It, it, uh, sort of, but very even more subtle than that. In the opening credits of the in the opening of the film, the first thing you see is a wall of the name of cities, and Munich is highlighted among them. Mm-hmm. All of those are cities where people were mur- murdered because of this instance. Those are the names. Those are the names of locations where people were killed on behalf of this of all this 
of this entire story. And Lily Hammer is in there. Wow. It is just a very subtle thing where Spielberg acknowledges it, but he doesn't show it. And he was criticized that by that a lot. For... For just not talking about it because they're saying mm. you have a film where you're talking about the uh, you're talking about the atrocities of war of assassinations of terrorist attacks and yet you're not going to talk about your most you're not going to talk about one of the most inherent and actually proven incidences where an innocent person was murdered and yeah you know uh, Spielberg I think and we talked about this a little bit earlier but I think Spielberg I think murdering Salame. And 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 Ahmed's murder. That, that's why. That's why I said earlier that I don't think Munich is really about Israel and Palestine. It's not about Black September at its core. I think at its core, it's a film about people trying to stay good in an awful situation, doing trying to stay good while doing awful things. It is a internal emotional story. That that being said, this this is what happened in real life. This is yeah, how Salami was murdered. How was he murdered? He was oh, the car bomb. The car bombed. The car bombed. There's, there's no nothing more to the story. Like, well, they uh, in the documentary they talk about how they planned it and how eventually in the late 70s he was living a normal life. He had children. Uh, after Munich, he lived in secrecy, moving from safe house to safe house, trying mm. to you know evade the, the the Mossad agents. But by the late 70s, he. He didn't give a fuck. He was living in Beirut. He had a wife. He had kids. You know, he was working. Uh, he had let. He had. He had left his Red Prince title. Almost, you can say. Mm. But uh, there's that last exchange with with him and Efrain, his handler, where they're like, he's like, oh, I want to get. I want proof oh, that all these people. Oh, oh, oh. I have. I have it in quotes. I know the scene you're talking about, and we haven't spoken about this scene. We should probably get into that right now. Um. He meets with a friend. Well, he he's suffering from paranoia. He thinks he's being followed. He goes to the Israeli yeah. embassy and he's, like, he's you like, call a friend and you tell him that if they if they come after me or my wife or kid, I'm gonna come after them. I have all the information. If Frain meets, he with says him in person, he starts that that conversation with, "I will not hesitate to kill other people's children." Yeah, that's how he comes into the Israeli embassy. Yeah, and so he meets with a friend at this park. Out, a little outside of New York, New York City. And he says, this is basically like kind of the consensus of the film. You did well, but you're unhappy. I killed seven men. Not Salame. We'll get him, of course. You think you were the only team? It's a big operation. You were only a part. Does that assuage your guilt? Did we accomplish anything at all? Every man we killed has been replaced by worse. Why cut my fingernails? They'll grow back. Did we kill to replace the terrorist leadership or the Palestinian leadership? You tell me what we've done. You killed them for the sake of a country you now choose to abandon. The country your mother and father built, that you were born into. You killed them for Munich, for the future, for peace. There's no peace at the end of this, no matter what you believe. You know this is true. Here's what I know. Your father is sick. Your mother will be alone. You're a Sabra. Your wife and daughter are Sabras. What I came to say is this. Come home. What a fucking scene, man. Yeah, and then he's like, 
come have dinner with me. Like there's a, a law somewhere that, you know, you're a Jew, I'm a Jew, break bread with me. So will you break bread with me? And then <laughs> Ephraim says no. And it's and the leaves. most emotional line that he delivers throughout the entire film. It's it's like he's pained. It's yeah. almost like someone's someone feeling betrayed. I no, I think he he doesn't want to be with Avner. He's either afraid of what he's become, or he's afraid of like you know people coming after him and him getting caught in the crossfire. Ephraim. Yeah, I read that scene as Ephraim kind of being someone for this cause kind of being on steve's like side where it's like i the only blood i care about is jewish blood and if friend's disappointed because he's like i'm not gonna break bread with you you're not on the same page i am you're abandoning us you're leaving us behind nah, i don't think so because then why would so? he even show up there no, I think Efrain was trying to do one last plea where he's like, look, I understand how you're feeling, but look, you did a proud thing. You did a great thing for our country. You brought us justice. You didn't do anything wrong. Fuck those guys. I, I don't. Come, come. You don't think so? No, I, th I think he knows deep down inside that Avner is a mess. And Efrain doesn't want to see that firsthand. Like what? He's made this guy become to do, you know, the dirty work, the secret work, you know, and then it, it, it like it ends on that like wide shot of Avner alone in the park. And then you can see very clearly the, the, the twin towers up there. Not subtle, but not subtle, but it's subtle enough. It's important. It has yeah. to be there, I think. Uh, let, let me ask you. Let's we're, since we're talking about the final scene, I wanted to ask you: What do you interpret that those the twin towers being there at that final frame? What do you think that symbolizes? These issues won't won't go away with violence. You know, you can't like bomb the shit out of a country to get it to stop attacking you. You know, it's. I think it's very funny because those twin towers mean a lot of things for me. Um, and for a lot of people, that the, the Twin Towers have been hotly debated because on one hand, I understand. It's like we we have to understand that bombing and killing each other isn't going to solve anything. Spielberg has gone on to say that he wants this film to be a call for peace. Oh, he says on um, the movie, he I think this is a movie where it's like bombing doesn't doesn't bombing and killing doesn't resolve anything. It is a cycle of violence that someone must end, but they must end by not killing. And I think he has a quote where he's like, the movie offers a forum there are some people in the Jewish community who don't think it was appropriate to have to have given a position on or even a scene to explore the Palestinian character. But Tony and I thought that it, Tony being the screenwriter and I thought it was very, very important. There's been a quagmire of blood for blood for many decades in the region. And where does it end? How does it end? This movie is a prayer for peace. I think that final shot is kind of reflective of that. It says, you know, there's nothing good that can come from killing each other. I think it's supposed to be a direct reference to 9-11 and the inevitable, the inevitability of the bloodshed that's going to come from that, from people wanting to yeah. harm us because we've harmed them. I was a kid when 9-11 happened, but I could remember people wanting fucking blood. And, yeah. and I can't, I can't blame them. I cannot blame people looking at 9-11 and being like, fuck them. Let's go get them. I can't. I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry. I, I, in retrospect, things could have been handled way differently. Mm-hmm. Just like did you Avner know, does. Did you know very many um, kids in school that were Arab or Middle Easterners? No. See, no, I did. I, and they, they would tell me about how like their, their dad or their uncle got kicked off of an airplane because he had a turban. They're giving him a hard time. Well, it's it's insane. It's wild because in that moment, there's this anger, this fury that says, "Fuck them, we're gonna get it." You know what I mean? And I, 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 I look, it's awful. It's totally awful. Um, but that was the vibe. That was what was happening. Yeah. And when you see nine eleven, you know, it's I'm not trying to I'm not trying to condone what happened to them, but I can understand where that fury comes from, especially if someone lost nine lost lost someone to mm-hmm. nine to, to the incidents either at the Pentagon and United ninety three or at the World Trade Center. Yeah. And that to me, still Spielberg having that twin towers in the background, that to me uh, reminds me of the Israelis wanting revenge they wanted blood after their athletes were killed yeah they were athletes they -hmm. were like we didn't they didn't do anything wrong we didn't do any they didn't do anything wrong and we were fucking murdered on public tv on german soil again 30 years 30 or 40 years after the holocaust after so much is uh jewish blood had been spilled on germany and here we are at the munich munich of munich games of peace and here we are fucking dying again no, fuck that. We're going to kill these motherfucking... We're going to kill these Arabs. I don't care. All The only blood I care about is Jewish blood. That's mm-hmm. the motto. And and I understand that. It totally reminds me of 9-11, of the U.S. response to it. Yeah. But it's 2020, and we are still talking about this war. I don't even know what we're fighting about anymore. I've, I've lost track. I don't know <laughs> what's happening. It is... That is, to me, that's what that final frame stands for. It stands for the people who are so consumed by something that we lose track of it eventually. And so much hatred and racism and bloodshed comes from that. Um, yeah, I think it, you have to you have to understand where the other side is coming from. Because like while the, the you know the is, Israel bombs the shit out of um, those refugee camps and they're like killing people in the streets and innocent people are getting killed in the crossfire um you know at the same time the people of israel you know six million of them were were killed and the world didn't do anything they were being gathered up and gassed and like you know what i mean so it's like why would they give an inch when the last time (laughs) they were you know grouped together and, and killed in mass because it's that kind of there's almost a stubbornness involved and uh it's yeah, funny it's because, a stubbornness but it's like a this that will never happen again and we're gonna show the world that you know it will never happen again to us i think that's what they're saying with those bombs and we're gonna show that killing jewish people is an expensive occupation or is an expensive yeah uh, endeavor and uh they're like we're gonna send a message regardless bombs killings or how much it costs you're gonna however you're you're in for it man talking about that twin towers scene i thought it was really interesting because israelis a lot of israelis are not fan of this film and we're gonna talk a little bit about the reception of this film 
because it's got a pretty positive reception as like a 78 on Rotten Tomatoes out of 200 overall 200 critics. But a lot of people have complaints about it. Palestinians think that it's um, it paints it sometimes paints them a little too one sided that it doesn't really dwell into their issues, uh, into the issues that they have been trying to address, which is the loss of their land. Uh, it says that it just kind of goes over that, doesn't dwell into it, which fair enough that it, the film does not. It really has one scene where a Palestinian talks and is not murdering people. I and think. It's, um, it's almost played for comedy because the, the wife is, she's getting ready and she's like, barging in on it seems like she's barging in on the interview and the husband's getting a little frustrated with her like he's he's talking to me let me let me say i know what to say well they start bickering it's almost played for for but still what he's saying is isn't wrong no no it's not wrong at all but it's uh, a lot of palestinians think that the film doesn't dwell too much into their struggles into what they have gone through say that the film isn't focused on the israeli-palestinian conflict it's more about the internal even spielberg goes on to say um munich is a movie about revenge it is a movie about the cost of revenge and the question whether revenge is ultimately even worth yeah. it. a response to response is a never-ending cycle that doesn't really solve anything it just creates a perpetual perpetual motion machine i never tried to answer a question of israeli policy that's not up to me I'm not a diplomat. I am not a politician. I'm a filmmaker, not a policymaker. So I didn't give answers, but I think the film has a yeah. searching spirit and it asks a lot of questions. Does that yeah. does, do those questions not really highlight the Palestinian struggles? I, I, that's fair enough, but that's not the point. And I don't think the point of the film is to shit talk Israelis, the Israeli government. Right. You know, he Spielberg has gone on to say that he he uh, thought. The response was a correct one. Wait, He's what? like, uh, Spielberg has gone on record saying that he felt the Israeli response to Munich was the correct one. That's interesting. Because in his movie, it doesn't seem like it is. Well, kind of. This movie is not an argument for non-response. On the contrary, what this movie is showing is that what may be the right response is still one that confronts you with very serious issues. And when we have to respond to terror today, what's relevant is the need to go through a careful process, not to paralyze ourselves, not to prevent us from acting, but to try to ensure that the results that we produce are the ones that we attend. It's the unintended results that are probably some of the worst and are ultimately going to bedevil us. Which, I mean, they uh, they uh, they unintentionally killed an innocent person, or many innocent people. Yeah, and they do... There's that line in the movie when he meets like his the guy who keeps calling him an Ieke for gr- his grandparents being born in Germany. Do you remember who? that guy? There's that guy that who's like, I want receipts. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He says this line that's like, man, that's like the thesis of the movie. Whatever you're doing, someone else is paying for it. Yeah. Well, I think well, that's that's really interesting. That's that line of dialogue has a double meaning. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that wow, I didn't even think about that. That is totally true. That yeah, because he's talk he's talking literally in the financial sense yeah, someone is paying for it. The government is because he but, wants receipts, but Oh wow. Yeah, the, okay. the front end of the movie plays very much like a ooh, it's like a cool assassination movie. This is like Inglorious Bastards. No. Oh, it is not. Oh, this is the opposite. 
of Inglorious Bastards. For uh, n not in terms of quality, but Inglorious Bastards. Again, what we were talking about earlier. Nazis are black and white. You know, yeah. there is no. Well, I could kind of see where the Nazis came from. <laughs> no, it, we talked about that with our Willy Wonka episode. Roland Roland Dahl said, Roll "I kind of get where Hitler's coming from." Bro, what the fuck? Fuck you. Yeah. No. With with Nazis is black and white. That's why Tarantino could get away with fucking beheading them, burning them, torturing them, shooting them in the balls. Uh, it's fine. It's fun. But this this isn't that. These aren't Nazis. This is this is way more yeah, complicated the, than that. Uh, Ali says my grandparents didn't gas any Jews. Yeah. This is. I didn't. I never even thought about the comparisons to Inglorious Bastards, but yeah, this is the anti-Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> um, Spielberg has tried to say you know, he, this film has come under fire by Palestinians, but also Israeli. The is, Israelis do not like this film. Some of them say that it's it's not subtle. That's not how Mossad works. You're basing this off a book that Mossad agents have said have debunked it. It's not real. But a lot of them has said some of them have interpret some of them have interpreted the final shot with the twin towers as Spielberg accusing Israel for the attack on 9/11. Oh, come on. Yeah, not... they have said that in an indirect way Spielberg no. has almost said Absolutely that the actions for that the actions from 9/11 because of Israel openly condoning assassination that that led to the 9-11 attack. That's that that's is, so stupid. That's so American centric. Like whoever wrote that was a fucking like yeah, that these were these some of this guy was in Israel. Israel Israeli. And it is not viewed upon this movie is not very kind viewed upon kindly by uh by Israeli by the Israeli people. A lot of them said it's wrong. This isn't right. Um some of them are like they're like Spielberg isn't looking at this from a real Israeli Jewish perspective. He's looking at it from an American Jewish perspective. It's uh, it's not the same. It's almost like a, it's kind of like a, um, like a whitewashed. You know what I mean? It's like you've been American washed. You're whitewashed. You're not a real Jew. And they'll talk about some of his lack of subtleties. Like when Avner's visiting his mom in her apartment, she has a menorah in the background. He's like, Israelis don't do that. That's what an American Jewish Jew thinks that we do. But we don't do that. And it's that same line of thinking where they're like, the Twin Towers having it is offensive to us because we didn't cause that. You're almost pointing the finger and saying, we did this. And I think that's... I don't agree, and I think it's, but I think that shows the power of images and symbolism, and how your your um, personal biases change how you see an image. And I think it's tying it back to the very beginning. I think that's why these images are important. Whether Spielberg answered the conflict of Israel versus Palestine, he did it. He didn't even get close. Whether he totally, whether he is, while you may think he he's just a Jewish dude making Palestinians seem awful or that he is sympathetic to Palestinians, he didn't solve anything. But these images are important because as a filmmaker, this is a this is one of the things that you can do. Yes, you can entertain in a in a fashion like 24, but you you know, sometimes this is we have to be exposed to this. We have to see this. We have to come to our own conclusion. You know what I mean? I, mm -hmm. 
that's why representation matters, diversity matters, because these images lead to lead them to being ingrained in us. I saw this film a long time ago, and while I never personally looked into it until now, these images have always sticked with my head. They have always sticked in my head. And while I never really understood what those twin towers meant at the end, there was a feeling, there was a feeling in me that kind of rose from that, you know? And, um, I, you know, I mean, I'm not, I think they're wrong, but I mean, just, you think who's wrong? The, the, the Israeli guy for saying that uh, they caused yeah, 9-11. That's, because, that's stupid. But it's, that's it's the dialogue that needs to be open from these films, you know? This is not an easy film to talk about, and in no way should it be. Yeah. But in in this movie itself, like they CIA has given Salame money so that he doesn't attack America, but it finances his other operations. So it's not just Israel's fault that that these things happen, you know? Yeah. One thing I want to touch on is this was released on the same year as World War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds, the Tom Cruise one. Yep, same year, oh five. Huh. And it's really interesting because war, war, God, I can't even talk. War of the Worlds, right? But it's huh. interesting because Spielberg will make these films almost at the same time. He'll make two films at the same time and release them. Jurassic Park and Schindler's List were made in 93. Were mm -hmm. released in 93. He released War, War of the Worlds and Munich on the same year. And I read an interesting article where they said um, it was written by... Um, it was released by um, Slash Films. It's a blog. And they were like... Um, the title is With War of the Worlds and Munich... Steven Spielberg confronted the war on terror. It's a really interesting title because you forget, but the early 2000s after post 9-11 was very dire. Wasn't, you know, even even everyone's uh, heartwarming sweetheart, Steven Spielberg, has to confront this. This is the year yeah. after he made The Terminal, that feel-good, happy film about Tom Hanks living in an airport. But the year after, you have Eric Bana and Tom Cruise going to big against these threats, these huge ones. Granted, one is fictional, the aliens, but the other is real-life terrorism. There's a bleakness to both films. There's almost like the impossibility of being able to respond to them. Um, there, there are main characters that do awful things. Tom Cruise kills an innocent man. He kills um, the lead character from the Shawshank Redemption. What's his name? The actor. Um, uh, Tim Robbins? Tim Robbins. He kills Tim Robbins because Tim Robbins is going crazy. Um. Yeah. But it's very interesting because the the article goes on to say they make the comparison that Spielberg is making films about the war on terror. There's eerie similarities between War of the Worlds and 9-11 when Tom Cruise is just covered in dust, right? And he yeah. goes into his house in New Jersey or New York. I, for, I forget. There's a river of bodies of dead people. It's just This is four mm -hmm. years after 9-11. Jesus. You know? And there's a plane crash in that movie too, right? There is a plane crash that they that wow. happens right on top of them that they move through. Man, he is he's making people uncomfortable in the post 9/11. Yes. 
he um he says um 9 changed a lot for me it changed a lot for everyone in the world and my films did grow darker after 9 11 minority Re- minority report was a very dark look at the future and certainly war of the worlds which was a direct reference to 9 11 it was a real post 9 11 story not intended that way but that's the way it turned out mm-hmm. would you have someone asked him would you have made the film if september 11 had not happened and he says Probably not. H.G. Uh, Wells' novel has has been made into a film several times, no, notably always in times of international crisis. World War II had just begun when Orson, well- Orson Welles terrified millions of Americans with his legendary radio play version. The headlines were dominated by reports of Hitler's invasion of Poland and Hungary. Mm-hmm. When the first screened version came into the movie theaters in 1953, the Americans were very afra- afraid of a nuclear attack by the Soviet Union. And our version also comes at a time when Americans felt deeply vulnerable. Yeah. One is an allegorical take on the war on terror. The other one is a direct reference to war and terrorism. 2005 Spielberg was on a fucking quest. Yeah. (laughs) That dude wanted to terrify you and say, look, man. Wake up. Shit is, look, man, shit is not all right. Yeah. And shit is not okay in my films either. You gotta look at this. You gotta confront this. You know what's eerie? Is seeing Tom Cruise covered in ash and fucking rubble and walking into his house covered in it. Reminiscent of the people that looked, that what people looked like when they were leaving the World Trade Center on 9-11. Yeah. Tom yeah, Cruise, who went to the Oscars and gave a huge impassioned speech about what happened. In 2001, Tom Cruise went up and gave a speech about the importance of cinema, but also the importance of New York to gather itself. Another thing that was really reminiscent about it, in December of that year, as Spielberg's Munich was on, was in theaters, President George W. Bush admitted for the first time that the invasion of Iraq was based on bad information. The same thing that Avner, at the end of this film, yeah. is beginning to question. Yeah, he wants proof. At the same time, also refer- but also referencing the innocent people who died and whether they needed to die based on bad intelligence. An yeah. innocent man was killed based on bad intelligence. Spielberg, it, this, just the timing yeah. could not have been better. I mean, it, granted, you know, it's, I'm, um, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not saying I'm okay with the terrorists. You know, that's not what I'm saying. But, you know, in terms of he's, a response. He's very, he's a lot smarter of a director than people give him credit for. Or, yeah. yeah let's I think that. so. Absolutely. He's just um, ignore put Ready Player One. Yeah. <laughs> I have this, this, I, this article is really interesting. It's by Cinema Blend. It's not, uh, you know, Vanity Fair or anything. But they, the article is very well written. Hmm. props to uh to katie rich um, that's really interesting i'm gonna ri- i should check out war of the worlds there's one thing i wanted to mention that i wanted to do like the our quotes oh uh real, real quick um there's a at the beginning of munich when is when uh the article goes on to say at the beginning of munich when israeli prime minister golda Meir begins planning the assassination of palestinians um, the language is stick with false righteousness. It's the same as Eichmann. You didn't want to shit. Eichmann being the, uh, one of the Nazis, one of the head Nazis. It's the same as Eichmann. You didn't want to share this world with us. We don't have to share this world with you. Meyer says to her cabinet explicitly 
referencing Holocaust mastermind Adolf Eichmann, but also George W. Bush's You're Either With Us or Against mm, Us ultimatums. Damn. But sensing discomfort in the room but sticking with her plan, Mier reminds her confidence that every civilization finds it necessary to negotiate compromises with its, with own. its own values. Yeah. It's the same as Eichmann. We say to these butchers, you didn't want to share this world with us, then we don't have to share this world with you. There's legitimacy for this, am I correct? Ambushed and slaughtered again. While the rest of the world is playing games, Olympic torches and brass bands and dead Jews in Germany. And the world couldn't care less. We've responded. We sent 70 fighters. Response no one heard. Airstrikes on guerrilla training centers, that's a response. No one notices what happens in the border camps. 60 Arabs dead at least. Who knows how many wounded? This is about fixing the world's attention. Well, it's not just a publicity stunt. Let me remind you. Ali Hassan Salame, he invented Black September. He is the architect of the Munich murders. There's people. They're sworn to destroy us. Forget peace for now. We have to show them we're strong. We have laws, we represent civilization. Some people say we can't afford to be civilized. I've always resisted such people. But I don't know who these maniacs are and where they come from. Palestinians, they're not recognizable. You tell me what law protects people like these. Today I'm hearing with new ears. Every civilization finds it necessary to negotiate compromises with its own values. And the article goes on to say that's the thesis statement of Munich. And uh, I, I, I kind of have to agree too. This... Uh, these compromises there, you know, not everything is going to be an easy situation. There are instances where you want to fight back, but at what yeah. cost? You know, it's, it's heavy. This it's a heavy. is a heavy fucking film. And what I love is that we could keep talking about this film. Yeah. There's this one part um, where he's talking to Carl at the bar. He's like, oh, I know. I know that you're type like you, you confront your troubles by moving fast by moving and because the thing that terrifies you is stillness and, and as this conversation is happening the camera is slowly like zooming in on them until carl says the thing that you're afraid of is stillness and that's when the camera stops and then and then it goes back to like oh yeah well be careful for the girl in the bar and then after carl dies that that cooking scene is so hectic and the and camera's frantic. moving like crazy. You don't even see Avner's face, but you, you just see, see... You, it's shot in the wide angle. So yeah. every little movement is captured in All camera. The... You could feel his desperation and yeah. his sense of urgency. Yeah. And then like he's cooked so much because he's trying to get his mind off of how badly they've, how bad the mission has gone. Yeah. It's, it's really it's, subtle, it's... but it's like, it's kind of cool when you notice it, you know, like when you want to watch the movie again, I noticed that that one line where he's like, well, the thing that terrifies you is stillness. I'm like the camera stopped when he said that it was zooming in before that his whole like little peer into Avner's soul. Like, I know what your problem is. And 
and it's 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 subtleties like that and you could go back and rewatch this film and you could pick up on things like that but an, uh, another reason why i love this film though is because you could go through and pick apart a lot of things and try to come up with your own theories and stuff but in the end of the day it's a fucking entertaining film yeah it's suspenseful is incredibly well acted things are layered but it is intense and it is yeah. a two two hour and 40 minute film it doesn't feel like it for me to me it yeah. it's slow when it needs to be and it's intense but it's the de- it's deliberate there is no scene that is wasted it's a mark of that's a why i recommend good movie. that's why i recommend the film so what is your quote that you will use to sum up this movie that sums up the feeling ha- of the movie it's it's tough to uh it's tough to make it one well i'll um, go first go for it it's the thing i said earlier it's whatever the accountant guy he says whatever you're doing someone else is paying for it because everything that happens leads to some something else other people getting upset and a response that's you know what i mean like when they communicate with the terrorists by using bombs they use bombs and they don't care if they're killing civilians that's that's the point to get the world to talk about oh why are they doing that and there's a a cost on the guy's soul on his like moral on his morality on his humanity you know and the people around like when avner goes back his family knows he's changed you know so they she she could tell yeah she's not it's not good you know uh did you have a quote i had a few quotes but there's two that i i think that i could accompany pretty well I think they highlight the difficulties that the that are behind these conflicts and the difficulties that are to come for future conflicts, not just the Israeli-Palestinian one right currently, but in everything that comes afterwards. Avner's mother says, and these are two different quotes at two different times. Avner's mother at one point says, we had to take it because no one would ever give it to us. To me, that quote says uh, takes a, has mm-hmm. a sense of urgency that you have to fight for your own survival, Right. Which yeah. I understand. I get that. I could sympathize with that. But by quote, by, by putting that quote next to Avner's uh, in another section of the film where he says, there is no peace at the end of this. Uh-huh. Both statements are true, but they contradict each other in a way. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. We have to take what is ours, but the other people are thinking that exact same thing. Mm-hmm. This is not going to end. But I think this film really does give me an optimistic view of all these things. We tend to look back and we tend to think about what happened, how it went down. And while, yes, terrorist attacks are still going to happen and people are going to be red-blooded afterwards and full of rage and anger and wanting to get vengeance, we can always hope that there will be people who will say, enough is enough, let us think about what we are going to do. And that's what this film does. And it may not answer perf- all the questions and it may not be perfect. And it, you know, yada, yada, yada. It's still entertaining and it offers enough. And I appreciate Spielberg for attempting to talk about this. And uh, I can say that I am a much more educated person because of this film. Uh, Austin's going to check it out right now. And he's going to, he's going to, t- <laughs> it is from Knocked Up. Oh my God. And in the film, they reference the film Munich. 
<laughs> you know a movie I just saw again the other day, which is fucking like mind blowing, and I haven't seen it since it came out. It's Munich. Oh, Munich! Munich fucking rules. Munich is awesome. That movie was Eric Bana kicking fucking ass. Through every movie with Jews, we're the ones getting killed. Munich flips it on its ear. Dude, we're capping mother. Not only killing, but fucking like taking names. If any of us get laid tonight, it's because of Eric Bana. Great fucking clip. I, I love but like it. if you just watch this clip, it's like, oh, what's mute? Oh, what? That looks. That sounds like a cool movie. You want to see Eric Bana going all? But like the idea of like this dude just like going around killing people, taking names. Like that's the way they're talking about it. Sounds like that kind of a movie. Yeah. Oh. But then you watch it and it's like, oh shit. That's why. Like, that's what? why it's funny though. <laughs> that's why it's hilarious. Yeah. <sighs> so on that note. Thank you guys for listening to this long as fuck episode. Really difficult to talk about terrorism and murdering people. You know, we just try to break it down and look, if you haven't seen the film, go check it out. It might be really depressing, but sometimes you need that in your life and you're going to be entertained. Yes. You have to. It, yeah, it's a it's good to look at things that are uncomfortable sometimes to to, you know, get a better understanding of the world and what you can do to make it better i guess absolutely and you know what uh, it's difficult but go for it fuck it it's on hbo max right now so do it thanks thank you All guys right. for listening we'll see you on the next one thank you for listening see ya